everybody, and welcome back to the E5 podcast. I am your host, Paul Meenan, and I am joined by my E5 brothers and tag team partners. Please introduce yourself and get the order correctly, and then we'll introduce our, our, our guest. Hello, I'm JW. Hey, it's Dave Watts, Sparking Ninja. And hey, I'm Paul Scum. And we are delighted today to be joined by an industry peer and expert and re- respected uh, colleague from the electrical industry. Sir, would you introduce yourself to the audience? Hi there. My name's Gordon McKenzie, uh, and I've worked in the networks industry since 1985 and recently retired in September of 2021. So just, just to put that clearly, in 1985, I was in primary school. Uh, <laughs> drinking bottles of milk, having naps, and not knowing about the horrors of the electrical industry. No, I'm only joking. Um, well, I'd actually started my apprenticeship in 1980, Paul, so that's... <laughs> I was three... You're two years ahead of me, Gordon. I was three... Oh, God, yeah, I look older than all of you. Um, right, okay. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us, Gordon. So what we're going to do is we've managed to hijack Gordon for a couple of these podcasts because we want to talk... Uh, and debate a couple of issues that are really important to us all and also raise awareness for those who are listening. Now, more importantly, if you are listening to this, thank you very much for listening and all that. And we're sorry we've been away for a while, but we said we'd only talk when we've done the research and got something interesting to talk about and debate. And these are debates. These are opinion pieces. But what we've done for those who are watching in the wonderful world of YouTube, um, this is in the format of one of our webinars. We just don't have an audience today. So thank you for watching. And if you are listening and you want to see more of what we're talking about, uh, please watch the YouTube version as well when it goes on the relevant channels. Right, should we get on to it? So we're here to talk about something that I think me and John talked about over a year ago um, called phenolic. I do love we, that word. We teased it in the uh, the code-breaking webinars that we did. We teased it for five minutes. They seem like a long time ago. <laughs> it was a while ago. Hey, we're along. We need to do new ones when Amendment 2 comes out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, phenolic, more importantly, a term that I think we called phenolic degradation. So if we um, we move along on the old uh, slide deck for those watching on YouTube, um, phenolic is, as John Ward calls it, Bakelite. But it's defined in a standard that we found as thermosetting plastic made from a phenolic resin with wood flower filler. Now, phenolic, I think it's fair to say, John, and you could disagree or, or not, it's part of the plastics family. It's an old school recipe for making of plastic using heat and compression and resins and chemicals. And over the years, plastics technology has moved on. And phenolic materials used probably, well, for, for decades and decades. I don't think it's used much anymore other than in Kingspan, weirdly enough. Kingspan, you know, the boards we get, the pink boards, that's phenolic material. And the fire rate boards, I didn't know that, but I was researching. They're, the they're still day. making that now? Oh, wow, okay. It's fire. It goes. So, you know, when you get the fire rated boards, they're mm. apparently phenolic material. According to Kingspan's website, I will indemnify mm. myself. <laughs> Mr. Skirm, go on. You're looking intrigued. We can still get um, what's the board? I can't, I can't remember the name of it now. The brown stuff. Paxlin. Paxlin, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's a phenolic, laminated phenolic product as well, isn't it? Yes. Okay. I guess the difference is, though, we buy it today. And it's time that seems to be the thing that defeats this material. Yeah, it's, it's possibly the, the definition may have changed as well. Maybe mm. wood flower filler. Maybe they use a different filler now, maybe a more inert one. Yeah. Flower. I'm going to jump ahead then. I'm not going to jump ahead. I'm going to stop. Okay. Yeah, no good, because Paul has control of the IT. So please um, move on. Um, John, I think this was our definition. Now, we call this cut out the John Ward. 
um, purely because John was the one who noticed it. it has a human-esque face, doesn't it, John? Yeah, the nice two eyes and the nose and the yes. But it's a bit of an example of one. And I think I think what we were talking about when we teased phenolic degradation is I don't think anyone says that phenolic material isn't a brilliant material because it's lasted for decades and mm-hmm. it's advanced and advanced and advanced. But over time and pressure and use and maybe change of external influences in the environment, it potentially becomes a hazard. Um, yeah, I think fundamentally the um the light, you know, things do become life expired, especially if you change any of their initial criteria or their their characteristics. It's just the question of, you know, if people proactively maintain the life of these items by replacing them, or if we just allow them to get to that point. And that's a great image there because you can see uh, temperature has affected that car because the Indeed, yeah. has started to leak on that wonderfully compliant BS nine five one clamp. Nothing wrong with it. In the old like because it was okay to a standard of a few years ago, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. Gordon, do you remember fitting the nine five one clamps? They they're actually non-approved as far as the the network that I worked on. No, uh, I know but they the, used to be. They used to be because of the, the compression of the uh, the yeah. pulp, the soft pulp, you know, the compression it sort of thing. So mm. it's always been a bit of a bugbear, and especially for the DNO staff because it was never something we normally had in stores but they always magically appeared on the mm. cables so it's, in, it's interesting so for those who are watching please watch our previous webinars on dno coding because we go through the whole bs951 history um, which did allow the use on cables gordon um up until i think it was the early 80s or maybe 90s but I, they, it got removed anyway, which is why, obviously, you don't see them anymore. And they use the spring toggle ones and various other things. But, yeah, move on, Paul. Okay. So, a video now, which I will play. Yeah. Now, this is a really interesting video um, because, obviously, it's just a standard mega. And what you can see is they've put some bolts in, you know, engineers experimenting. And you can <laughs> see there looks like a, a scorching or arcing. And with the mega, you can actually visually see a little bit of tracking um and, and that's that's the thing with it with phenolic material it can it can break down to a point where foreign bodies and materials can effectively allow parts of it to the resin film to break down carbonize and you can get that's, tracking. that's the key point it breaks down it carbonizes and then obviously the carbonize you get some kind of level of conductivity and then you'll get constant tracking won't you at that point got wood flower filler in it doesn't it mm. is, uh, is is you know is, well coal <laughs> yeah that's what coal is you know <laughs> and just one of the, the points to make with that one paul for anybody looking at it as well as there is no fuse cartridge in that particular holder there so it had been removed wow. yeah. so there's there's nothing between the blades there the electricity that's in the path you can see between the two fuse blades there is occurring without a fuse being present that's pretty special i thought there might oh that's i didn't know that that's wow okay that even that blows my mind even more. But then again, Dave, from an electrician perspective, if you're on site and on the tools, the, the use of a mega now it expands. You remember the webinar you did on the hidden tests? Uh-huh. I think you can expand this quite a bit because I've been doing some recent testing and putting IR tests across uh, GRP ladders and getting um, yeah. low readings. Well, so, remember, we, we do use insulation testing for many other test types, you know, the special types of protective measures, you know, um, you know insulation floors and walls and stuff. And we can use installation tests as long as we use them safely for an awful lot more work than we actually use them for. Indeed. We can use them for a lot of stuff. 
And just a, a, another point on that one, Paul, before we go off it as well, is that that what you're seeing there is the, lo the location of the breakdown uh, where the tracking's occurring there. And if you can imagine that when it's in situ, the ability to find that very localised failure there mm -hmm. is, is it with the guy actually operating the fuse at that point or anybody well, that's... else on the front side there. So it's a very localised failure between the blades mm. uh, of the thing. So as they say, one of the, uh, the, the issues was always about how would you identify a, a failing cut mm. or one that was in the process that got to the stage where this was occurring. And that is one of the, the, the difficulties facing in the industry is, you know, the voltage indicators of contacts trying to trying yeah. to find a, a very localised area of failure can prove to be a real challenge. I'd love to put a fuse carrier that's got this on it under a good period of load and then put some thermal imaging cameras on it to see if there is any pattern that is completely foreign to the normal fuse carrier pattern. I'll tell you one thing that this raises is this kind of just shows you this. You can see why when you're trained to pull fuses and, and training is very important. And I've always said that every electrician should be trained on to work on this equipment. If you had a fuse carrier like that and you were just going to pull it under full load, you can see how quickly a, a huge arc flash or bang. And this is why the guys are trained, you know, isolate that load straight away, pull it using the insulated gauntlets. But more importantly, this is a perfect video that proves the point of visually inspecting after you've withdrawn it to make sure there isn't this form of damage. Now, I used to work with guys in my area, the old UK Power Networks, where when they did pull it, they would inspect the fuses to see if there was anything wrong before they reinserted it. And they should do, because when else, who else would do that? Exactly. And, and just, uh, again, Paul, looking at that, that that's a very visual... Uh, granted a very visual representation of you can see the tracking there and where that occurs but you know that tracking is the the, the, the primary concern is that that can track from phase to phase absolutely phase to neutral phase yeah. to phase to in a very very small and localized area mr skirm's gone dark oh. on me forward if you don't mind right, the next one there we go. So just, just in case people are wondering why we've disappeared for so long, we have gone down <laughs> Pandora's, um, well, we've gone down the rabbit hole and opened Pandora's box and found another rabbit hole and gone off into a quantum realm. And it's just gone insane, the amount of research that we've been doing and documentation we've had to read and <clears throat> correlate. And the DNOs and the networks themselves are insane. It was surprising how many different other industries have done studies on um, any kind of phenol material and yeah. the way it behaves over time and this and not not exact studies on fuse carriers and electrical switch gear or anything like that but other uses that this material has been used for and there's this kind of thing has been reoccurring and we've seen stuff from the 70s and even even you know well i mean this where they start talking about this material and it's tracking here on a bushing mm-hmm you know they identify things like copper trees where they look microscopically at it and they, mm. they, they there's there's been a lot of work now this is the earliest paper that i think we've ever seen um ironically and i apologize and we'll probably do another one of these in a year's time once we've done more research um the trouble is is having every single ie journal takes weeks <laughs> to read um but there are we we know on some of our other webinars we'll call we'll we will go into on another day that this stuff can go back into the 1800s. So the original discoverers and researchers of materials and insulators and all the rest of it. So we just wanted to show for the visual uh, aid really of those watching on YouTube, there are papers 
um, first presented July 1961 at an international conference of materials where people identified and spoke because years ago, good engineers would write a white paper, which is their theory and assumptions and their research, and then present it to their peers. Uh, it doesn't really happen that much unless you're doing masters and, and doctorates and stuff, but um, that's how it used to be done. And it's really, really good. And we found this old paper that looked at electrical breakdown by tracking Mr. Skirm. Right, so what we got is just some images. We're gonna we're gonna go through these pretty quick, just to show you some of the events that can happen from uh, a breakdown of phenolic material, where as if it's not dealt with or identified, and it can lead to our latter part of this podcast, uh, Mr. Skirm. You can see obviously where people have been taking insulation resistance or continuity tests to try and identify these breakdowns. So that's really important when you're investigating. Um, next slide, Paul. You see the damage as well, the ferocity of some of these intakes that have melted and the damage they've done. Now, I've actually attended them. The, what, what worries me the most is that free phase one there. And that looks relatively healthy, but that still obviously had an, a phenolic issue. And I, I, I wasn't aware, but some of the early GRP or grey plastic ones actually were phenolic as well. Um, but let's next slide it. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, well, that one, I think... Uh, well, that one had a, well, it existed. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> fair to say. Um, you say so, you, so you say some of the earlier grey ones were phenolic. Yeah. So when did it when did it transition to GRP? Because we we've, we've got the paperwork that basically we've got the evidence that says you know GRP I, is I much more robust. Yeah, I've written and I've asked and I'm trying to get I'm trying to pin down dates at the moment. Okay. From, the early from, GRP from, stuff. Yeah, from from our experience, we stopped purchasing uh, in about the mid 1980s I think we stopped purchasing the phenolic for GRP but we continued to use up stock a stock so maybe 90s early, early 90s I think early we 90s still using up stock yeah. Yeah, I think the point here we haven't really made particularly well yet is that, that that if you get this tracking within that phenolic material it doesn't end there because the actual act of it doing that creates a conductive path so then you get more current going through it which of course then degrades it further and then you get more current and so on until you get this sort of cascading failure. And that's why in, we've got these pictures here. It gets into such a terrible state because once it's going, it's pretty much inevitable that it will carry on and basically destroy itself. So well, if you, if you, it feeds itself at that point, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So every, every time that current goes through, it's carbonizing that particular pathway even more, making it more and more conductive. So. So that kind of leads on to this little beauty that we found, and this is all publicly available. So there is a, a, a High Court of Justice for Queen's Bench Division Technology and Construction Court at the Royal Courts of Justice in Strand. And there was a case uh, which is, again, publicly available, um, and it was pr presented before Mr. Justice Ackenhead, and it was between five parties. And effectively, there was a, a court case uh, against parties and Southeastern Power Networks, London Power Networks, Southeastern Power Networks and Eastern and Southeastern Power Networks, so basically the southern area of England, and it was all about the maintenance of the intakes, the cutouts, because of fires. Now, on the screen, you can see the kind of the introduction to this, so I'm just going to read it out for everybody, and it says, these five claims are for damages for negligence, said to relate to fires in five sets of premises, so it was a group case, all of which started as a result of resistive heating emanating in what are called cutout assemblies. And I do like legal because they simplify it. 
Where mains power is brought into cable uh, by cable into premises, it first goes into a cutout assembly, which is in effect a junction box with one or more fuses in it. From that cutout assembly, cables are then run to the electricity meter where the amount of electricity consumed is measured and from where the electricity passes into the premises. Since the privatization of the electrical industry, boo, uh, responsibility is now divided between distributors responsible for the bringing of power into premises for the cutout assemblies and the suppliers who charge the customers for the electricity supply and who are responsible for the meters. The five claims are in nature of test cases, albeit they do not amount to group litigation. The overriding general issue relates to the scope and extent in practice of the tortious responsibility of the defendant distributors. They were trying to set some precedences here. That's, that's I think, what drove this case. Whilst there are also major issues on causation in the five cases, the duty of care owed by the distributors is properly admitted. That's a really interesting sentence. The scope of the dispute involves a determination of what, if anything, the defendant should have done by way of inspection, maintenance, replacement, or monitoring of the cutout assemblies. The generic liabilities have acquired the acronym RIMISI, which is uh, replacement, inspection, maintenance, and some other. Oh, there we go. Respe repair, installation, maintenance, inspection of supply side equipment. So that's what this court case was about. When did it, and we mentioned this over a year ago in our last Averted Neutral Current webinar, where we said, when do they ever knock on your door and come in and say, here, I'm here to inspect your cutout? Mm. The only people who really do are the meter exchangers or the electrician. So next slide, Paul. Or when they had meter readers come in, the meter reader, which was working for the network operator at that time, would have had a look, wouldn't they? Exactly. Mm, but as, as I said in the webinar last week, our, our provider, my wife gives readings over an app on her phone. So they've not been in the property for eight years. And, and it's a really interesting report, and I highly recommend the reason we put it on the slide so that people can see it and they can look at it and go away and read it themselves. But it says on section 19, car assemblies come in different shapes and sizes, depending largely on the age and rating of the service and whether the consumer is provided with a single phase or three phase supply. The more modern ones are usually encased within, encased within glass filled polyester, although historically other plastics such as phenolic were used. The oldest service heads have cast iron casings. These assemblies may have pitch or heat shrink plastic shrouding or neither within them, depending on the type of service cable to which they are being used to terminate. The very large bulk of cutout assemblies over the last 50, 60 years have been manufactured by two companies, Lucy and WT Henley although BICC and Pirelli had not insignificant share at least one stage. Interesting, even mentioned phenolic in this. Mm. Um, so they do talk about it. it is a brilliant CPD read. It's a heavy report, but we've all read it. And I think say it's an absolute. Have you read this, Gordon? Do you, what, have you? Yeah, 90 page report and the word phenolic appeared once in that. Uh, numerous attempts to try and get some sort of visual, uh, you know, pictures or images of the cutouts that featured in the case without success. Next. There we go. So this is a phenolic fire, very close to home, because this was um, this was the first week of my job. Uh, we had a DNO supply that had been melting for four days. The staff had been smelling fish for four days, and that's the result of it. I think these are really important images, these, Paul, and understanding the tracking. So... The, the failure mechanism there's probably something to do with the connection of the overheating of the blade yeah. or some you know any one of the component parts within that that the risk with phenolic and why it's so different for grp is that 
it doesn't stay localized to that. So that overheating terminal then impacts towards the other two, two phases, L1, L2, L3, or towards the neutral. So the, 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 one of the first things with steps that we took was that you, you, you really couldn't do a partial repair on these. So it wasn't mm -hmm. enough to want to take L1 out and replace it because you've already probably got damage on L2 or L3 or yeah. towards the neutral without necessarily being conscious of that as well. But to see it as localised in that image there, you can see the heat source, you can see it very clear. You've not lost uh, the building as a result of fire there, so it's a really good image in that one. I'm amazed that the meter boards, which are supposed to be fire resistant, had burnt out to that degree. I mean, that's a significant it's heat. A lot of heat. Yeah, that is. So, yeah, got very lucky there. Um, well, I think that the, one, of, one of the things we looked at, Paul, is, as well, is I think when you see some of the failures, I don't know if some of the images will show that, but the tracking causes a melting, like an arcing melting of the uh, the brass components or the, the, the components of the cut. And that that's a thousand degrees or thereabouts that that, that happens. So it's, it's generating a significant heat source. I, I will say when they when the DNO came out um, to this, it was about half nine that she removed the old cutout and it was still red hot to touch. Yeah. It was very, very hot. Unfortunately, all they did was replace it with a GLP one. <laughs> all they did. It was just like, oh, there you go. And I was like, can I have that, please? And they were like, uh, yeah, I suppose they're just phenolic. They burn out all the time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be really nice to have that. And But yeah, that's the forward-facing image for those who are watching on YouTube. Um, quite a distraught first week of the job, really, that was. Um, but yeah, that was kind of that. What opened my eyes to it. So, um, did, did the um, electricity provider, network provider, provide you with any guidance on how to monitor, identify, or limit this thing from happening? If they've said, if they've said to you that you've replaced these all the time, no, I didn't even see a report from them. Okay, I saw nothing from them whatsoever. Um, which possibly one of one one of the things that was interesting gets going back about a time now was that. DNOs by nature look at the individual incident, you know, they'll investigate the incident without necessarily looking at the previous 10, 20, 30, 100 incidents mm. and looking it for just that seems, It just seems like with uh, meter up installers and obviously the need for things like Macopa, you'd have thought that they'd have some ability to actually put a guidance thing through for owners of, of systems. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think with the fragmentation of the industry as well, it doesn't help because there's possibly less talking between the regions now than there used to be in there. Mm. You know, the meter operators are no longer employed by the DNOs or the electricity boards as they were, you know? Yeah, mm. and I do think that fragmentation has caused chaos. When you're trying to talk to someone about a board, getting a board changed, years ago, up until about 15 years ago, the board was owned by others. And all of a sudden, one of the most recent changes is the board now is owned by the property owner. Well, okay, if the property owner owns it, how am I supposed to replace it when it's other people's equipment? And more importantly, two other people's equipment. How do I do that? And when was I ever yeah. spoken to about accepting that responsibility? I'm, I'm not talking about just the workplace, but a home. Somebody else owns my meter board. Just, okay. it, just, it just feels like retracting liability as much as you can and then getting, you know, adding that we must install outside as well, you know. Without cooperation, consultation or anything on the mm. so we'll, we'll we'll get on to that in in a minute anyway but again some more images of just more cutouts as you can see the damage it can destroy homes it can destroy lives it's something we need to be very careful of and aware of we thought we'd just use a range of images really just to what's, show 
what is the first what is the first um the first sign of this is it just is it is it is it heating creating maybe some pitch seeping is it the sound of arcing is it the smell i mean if electricians are asked to come and look at something and then there's you know they don't get the right information from the client and the client actually points into the fuse you know so the electrician doesn't actually you know get you know instead of getting the supply they get electrician in what kind is one of the first things that they would actually uh what would you it's see it's it's a really good point and it's it's one of these things that you know we all operate nowadays with the, the insulating gloves mm. as in the old days I think there was always a technique of putting you the back of your hand onto the cut before you actually pulled it and it was based on a temperature sense as an experience thing rather than anything else the, the, the requirement now for the guys is to use the voltage indicator to try and touch that, but it can be so localized. You can you can go through that process of, of doing that. Well, it's an insulating uh, material, isn't it? So it's going to have lots of for, looking for the breakdown. Yep. Yeah. But as, as far as the customers go, you gen generally very lucky if the customer smells that if it's in a cupboard and it's buried. But if 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 they do, they report that fishy smell. They'll uh, hear crackling, uh, and they'll generally get to the point where it's breaking down, where the lights are flickering and things like that as well. I actually remember one specifically where there was no longer any metallic uh, contact between the cable and the house, but the house was still unsupplied. Wow. That's how conductive the, the material got. Flickering oh. lights, the customer had phoned in because the lights were flickering, mm. but it was, it was at the point of almost catastrophic failure. But the boys got there at, at, at a particular time where it was still... Uh, still in supply. So it's just a block of carbon between the two. Exactly. Bits. Was <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it has that knock on effect because the temperature, as I say, it's a thousand degrees for the, the, the components of the, uh, the, the cut itself to fail. But the, the PVC and the cables above go 100, 100 degrees or something. Like that. Mm. So there's that knock on effect. You've got them all crossing each other, and uh, you know, the insulation goes in the cables fairly quickly. And you'll see in a lot of the investigations, the finger will get pointed directly at the cables, a slack connection, or you know they'll, they'll look at the cables as being, you know, the, the cause of it. When primary the cause will have been the, the the failure of the connection within the cutout, and then the subsequent tracking. Was there, was there a certain time where a lot of the finger pointing was loose connection, loose connection cable, but then there was more Always. of an awareness, Always. and they go, actually, now it is the phenolic material. Yeah, still, you know, there's, there's still what 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 we did specifically was we were recovering the the badly damaged ones. We weren't looking at a bigger picture, so we weren't going to surveying hundreds of of phenolic cuts in order to establish, you know, how many were failing. We were looking exactly at the cause of failure. So the 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 ones that were failing in the worst way were the ones that we were spending the time looking at to establish what was the root cause of the failure. And that's where the tracking thing came for. That's where we, we, we got the information for that. So we, we had a very narrow, very focused look at this. But up to that point, any joint or any electrician that's worked in this industry will have thrown hundreds, if not thousands of them in the bin in that condition that you can see on the screen at the moment and just basically dismissed it as a slack connection. That's a connection, yeah. Mm. And that's that's what worried, worries me because I, I have opinions on, on testing this, but we've got a video later on, so we'll, we'll just move progressively along. These are visual aid stimulators. This is a nice little video, Paul, if you press play. So this is a, obviously a, 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 a little cabinet meter box of a 60-amp fuse, and you can see in the video that there's smoke being emitted from 
something or another burning or melting and being exposed to extreme heat. Which, um, again. Yeah. You can see that. You, you can see it, Paul, just above the, the, the phase conductor there, and you can see yeah. that. The heat build yeah, up. The, the heat build up. It's, it's similar to the board you've seen previously there. It's very yeah. localized there. But that tracking, the, the tracking that you worry about there is between that top terminal and the neutral terminal next to it because that won't operate the fuse until there's a significant mm. bit of damage. And it worse in the incoming side because you've got to operate a substation fuse. And it's a high resistance thing. So it starts life as a very good insulator and a very high resistance between the two component parts. But then very quickly as that deteriorates, that will, that'll, uh, you know, It'll deteriorate to the point, you know, of almost a dead short as we are finding them. Yeah, um, I think we'll get we'll get onto that. Uh, some other options for testing, but Dave, I still think you need to update your testing. When <laughs> um, you can see a future one coming. This is an interesting little um, a snippet from a document where it's GRP versus phenolic. I'll read it out for everybody. Uh, both materials are capable of good service performance when properly installed and used in reasonably clean and dry conditions. Product failures, of course, occur if installation conditions are not correct. We call it external influences in our world. Uh, if, for instance, a cable terminal screw or fuse clip is not tightened correctly, leading to catastrophic overheating, or if in damp conditions, perhaps coupled with conducting contaminants, leads to a loss of insulating capability, it is under failure condition that marked differences occur between phenolic and GRP house service cutouts. Uh, phenolic suffers from an intrinsic material characteristic, as Paul said earlier on, uh, which can be self-destructive, namely tracking. When the material decomposes, because it will over time and heat strain and all that good stuff, for example, due to arcing or surface leakage currents, it forms carbon. The carbon readily conducts electricity, leading to reduction in electrical creepage, which we need to be very wary of when we're designing any form of electrical product. Heavier leakage will enhance carbon formation and self-propagation failure. GRP, on the other hand, will simply not track at least below 1,000 volts. And our grades, by virtue of the fillers used, are particularly resistant. Now, this is really interesting because the bit about GRP, Dave, you and I both know that that technically, if you're not cleaning or maintaining your GRP, is not true. I'm going to say, it depends on the condition of your GRP. I would and say. the size of the electromagnetic field and the volume. Mm approximate to it um i i have some recent examples but i'm not going to go into that it's for another webinar mm -hmm. so grp if you are using it folks make sure you keep it clean remove those surface contaminants now we're not asking you to get a damp cloth and clean down a dno intake but we will come on to what you can maybe do later on to maybe help prevent this sort of stuff and and be a, a this a, is electrician this is where we saw the vulnerability in those cases that we were reading back with all those examples where the where uh, there were those five cases one of the things that was evident in that paperwork was because they are idle devices mm -hmm. there seemed to be some level of excuse for the lack of maintenance and the lack of consideration for them but an idle device will still be subject to severe different change of demand of environment of heating of moisture as it goes through the life, if somebody changes the way they use the space, you know, or they use the demand. Well, can I just make a wee point on that previous slide again, if you could yeah, go back to it, I don't know if it's possible. Just, just in the, the, the first, uh, the top paragraph there, product fails, of course, occur if installation conditions are not correct. They then go on to describe almost, you know, the, the typical domestic installation conditions you know uh, 
damp conditions, you know, it, it was we, we were seeing these failures in very, very typically domestic conditions, but you could see where moisture was playing a part in this as well. Mm. And this was, they were not damp conditions, but I think there's a thermal cycling type of thing that's attracting moisture into the, the phenolic uh, cutout. And the cutout itself uh, has the ability to absorb a certain amount of moisture as well and retain that moisture. And that was, again, contributing to the, the tracking and the failure as well. So it was just something, you know, the, 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 that particular paragraph, uh, you know, it, it was one of these things that we, we, we tend to think that it must be a terrible condition. These only happen. They don't. They, they were happening in perfectly normal domestic environments. Yeah, I, I do think that the one place that you can lead to catastrophic areas is underneath the stairs, because I've seen plenty of houses where they've insulated under the floors. You go underneath the stair cupboard and it's freezing cold. The intake cable's coming right under an air brick and you just get condensation and all sorts. So, yeah, under stair cupboards are an interesting place. But let's move on. Um, so part of the research, always research, try and get your facts together. And again, this is us as five engineers chewing the fat over an issue that is slowly disappearing, but still can occur. And I think, Dave, in one of our earthing podcasts, you quoted some old statistics of number of fires um, on electrical intake. So we, we did, and we also quoted the, the study that said a legislation is supposed to put the need for maintenance to avoid that. But um, this applies here as well, but, you know. That hasn't happened. Um, no. But, <laughs> so one of the things we did was, I obviously, I'm a railway chap, so there is some references to phenolic, because we have tried to research and go to ground a lot on definitions of phenolic and many people use it for many you know it's a, the chemical engineers and the plastics industry they use it and there's lots of different ways of using that phrase phenolic and phenolic materials but interestingly there's another term we want to use called silver migration which was used in railways and they actually did define phenolic um, as a breakdown which led to silver migration um, which effectively uh, led to silver or silver plate contacts and moisture and an insulating material and how black relay bases could cause signaling failures and all sorts. So they're interesting reads, they're railway group standards. They've obviously been withdrawn because there was an edict to remove them all from signaling so they didn't cause any crashes or disasters. But it's interesting to see how it's not just in the domestic cutout world, it's everywhere. These materials are still everywhere in many places. Move on, Paul. Well, this goes on to cover a bit of silver migration. It does, and so if I'm pointing. Um, the movement, oh no, go back. So it, some of the bits in this railway group standard, silver migration defined the movement of metallic silver over one, over and through insulation is most commonly encountered on relay plug boards within certain relays and plug couplers. Initially it's restricted to the surface, but within time penetrates into the structure of the material. It can conduct electrically and is able to bypass contacts in circuitry um, and introduce connections between different circuits by forming a bridge between adjacent contacts. That's what it was doing on signaling, giving spurious and false signals. So you can see why they had to remove these bases from signaling. Onward we go. And then obviously their definition of phenolic at that time of writing these standards was thermosetting plastic made from a phenolic resin with wood flour. Moving on. Um, one of the other interesting comments in it is insulating material which can absorb moisture such as phenolic compound will accelerate, but it is not prerequisite for the process. Plug board spaces and plug couplers made of phenolic compound are always colored dark brown or black. As Mr. Ward said in one of our previous DNO videos, also known as Bakelite, or as Paul has said, um, 
uh, what was it? Paxlin. Paxlin, yeah. The thing is, Paxlin was banned on railways decades ago when I was an apprentice. I mm. loved it, but then they banned yeah. it. Don't ask me why. It was something to do with asbestos content, but I never got any evidence of that. Anyway, moving on. Certainly. If his computer works. I'm, 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 I'm being a naughty boy. I've lost my mouse. It's run away. Got it. There we go. <laughs> We've got another video for those watching, but we'll narrate the video. Um, and it's basically very simply, uh, well, in fact, Gordon, do you want to tell us what's going yeah. on here? So effectively, uh, the car itself was recovered uh, from site, having given a positive indication using a voltage indicator. And this occasion, we measured the the surface of the the cutout, i.e., the, the the cutout fuse itself. We directly went to the neutral bar, and as you can see, measured on a uh, I think it's a five hundred volt scale there, and I think it's measured yeah. all means voltage on that. So I think so. You can see that there on the on the scale. I'm trying to stop it on the. I can't quite see. No, so we're doing a. A 500 volts IR test. Yeah. Yeah. It no, means... it's, sorry, it's not an insulation, it's just purely a voltage. It's just a voltage indication there between the the, the neutral and the live. So it's connected up live and neutral. Okay. And the guys have used that as a voltmeter, nothing else, voltmeter. And he's basically touching the surface of the fuse and touching the neutral bar. Okay. So, so it's an insulation test, but they're using, so what, what's, sca what's scaling there is voltage. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Looks around about 200 volts. Is it is the bottom scale of voltage there? I, I think it was half deflected. I think it was on 500 volts and it half deflected. So it was full mains voltage single phase. So it's about two seconds. Just to be clear for, for me being a complete idiot here. So we went on the neutral and on the surface of the fuse carrier and we got 200 yeah. volts. Yeah. And for those listening, when we say on the neutral, we're talking about the actual carrier material that's over those conductors, not yeah. the conductors. So it's, yeah. So we've removed the neutral. Cover there so that we can actually touch the connection. Mm -hmm. So the one point is reference to a conductive material. So we're effectively proving that that breakdown in, in insulation value. And this is what we were saying about testing. Now, as an electrician, if you could visually see a cutout and you're worried about it, maybe mm -hmm. something as simple as a low impedance zone meter or an IR test across certain points may give you, or even that touch potential test that's built into the mega MFTs now. Yeah. But technically, if an electrician is just doing a EICR and he wants to read the rating of the service fuse, he may quite easily touch the service fuse to try to peer around and see if you can see the the amps on it, on the holder. He may touch that. And if he's touching a reference of an earth and he touches that, he will, um, you'll feel that. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll move on. So that's, one the, that's another hidden test for me. Thank another, you. Dave, Dave, this is <laughs> for you. Honestly, I've got a list in the back of my brain. Yeah. Um, moving on, published in 2013, um, there have been 21 editions of this published, the MOPCOA, Guidance for Service Termination Issue Reporting. Now, this is hysterical, and I don't mean any detriment to MOPCOA. This is a fantastic document, um, but I just, it's amazing how we see things differently. So this has some coding. So, Paul, if you just um, uh, plug along, one of the things it does have is a very good visual indicator on the, the what is the customer equipment, what modern DB equipment is and, and who owns what, the supplier, the customer and the, the distributor. So it's a really good document. It's available for free. Please Google it. Can I ask uh, who authored this? Yes, Mocopa. Sorry, not Mocopa. So that is an organization themselves, is it? Yes, yes. they are. Yes, okay. they are. Um, 
the metering organization effectively meter, meter operators code of practice agreement so it's uh, that's that's up there but that that particular document was done in conjunction with the energy networks association with the na okay i had a thing in here we were involved with it they do the quality assurance and checking of it moving on so they have you might recognize those watching um some codes but rather than c1 c2 and fr um c3 and fi they have a cat a cat b and cat c coding system and for those listening, I'll read out a CAT-A is obviously an emergency code, which is an issue with the condition of the distributor's board equipment that poses a danger, including danger of death or injury to persons and a danger of damage or destruction of property. So I think this is equivalent of our C1. You must report immediately to the distribution board by telephone whilst you're on site. OK, so sorry, distribution business DB means. So that's that's a CAT-A or what we know as a C1, I suppose. CAT-B, remedial work. It's an issue with a condition of the distribution business equipment that provides metering work, include meter installation replacement from being carried out. So this is where the meter operator comes along, as I found a couple of weeks ago. Guy comes around to change a meter, puts a clamp meter on the earth, got diverted neutral, puts it on the neutral and has still got that. Now, the minute you remove that meter, you've potentially got an open neutral there. You've got potential on the end of that neutral. So he, he refused to do the work, which was good on him. Um, but it's 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 quite an interesting mindset on this review. Pull the main fuse, put a clamp meter on the earth, got current, put a clamp meter on the neutral, got current, remove the meter, boom, you've got a big short. So um, remedial work kind of stops the metering guys doing their thing. Um, and then cat C asset issue or information code, which is an informa uh, an issue of information on the distribution uh, businesses equipment that is neither in a cat A or a cat B. Now, I find this, this is where I disagree with it personally. So if we can move forward, we'll, I'll tell you why. Certainly. So for those who are visually watching this, CAT-A equipment, we've nicely got them all displayed for you. Uh, they have codes A1, A3, A4, A5, A7, 10, 11, 10, 12, 14, 15, 17, 18, sorry, 19. And some of the codes are DB equipment, uh, distribution business equipment, overheating, defective fuse carriers, so immediately dangerous, physical damage to distribution business equipment. But the last one, A19, mm. surface voltage found on plastic cutout. Thank mm. God it's a C1. Now you just push the button, pull along, you'll, we'll show you what the category Bs are, which it appears as remedial work. Again, fuse carrier welded into cutout base, cutout loose. I think we as engineers would probably start to now argue what would be a C1 or a C2, but it's not for us. This is the meter operator's code of practice. It's what their governance is. Um, if we go to what a category C is, Paul, next one. No expense spared on these visuals. Um, signs of bitumen compound leaking because it's a slow and ongoing process. Low rate of fuse. A lot of people seem to wonder why they can't get 100 amp fuses and they don't realize that, you know, 60 was a big thing 30, 40 years ago. And now, uh, my local DNO are actually refusing 100 amp cutouts for EV, as I was told last week, because they've got to protect their network. weren't designed for it. Yeah. Um, interestingly, where is it? Uh, C17 black plastic cutout. Interesting. Go go on, Paul. C18 inch. The ones that are rewirable cutout things. Yeah, but move on, and we'll look at why. Because oh, look at this. Look at me, eh? Oh, look at the visual. So if you're listening to this, apologies. I do get excited by the visuals. So what, what they have in this uh, Macopa guide, and it's it's very good, is it's it's a journey of knowledge. It's it's free education. So they have a nice little, almost a safety bulletin 
where they talk about the asset condition code and surface voltage on a plastic cow is, is noted as a potential safety issue, has been identified with single and free phase black plastic cutouts made from phenolic materials. Installed by distribution businesses across the UK between 67 and 1992. I think, John, we'd probably maybe argue with those dates from 67 because it's probably older. Yes, I mean, <laughs> they probably don't want to admit that some of the stuff's that old, but yeah, plenty mm -hmm. of metal before that, but... Uh... <laughs> Take them as approximate dates anyway, so. Yeah, um, there is. Um, it then says, uh, whereby plastic casing in some circumstances can become conductive, leading to a risk of shock and or excessive heat. Exactly what we've been discussing. So this kind of, this is not us making stuff up for those people who may think we're making it up. Um, it is part of your risk assessment, and that's really important. Guys who work in metering and for the DNOs have to do dynamic risk assessments all the time. Got to keep on your toes. I can't see it. I can't smell it. I can't hear it touch it and it kills you um if as part of your risk assessment you identify the cutout as plastic may contain phenolic material before the operation check for surface voltage using appropriate contact voltage direct contact if a sustained voltage is found record the voltage value reported to the business reports are based on reading from a single point of contact voltage indicator must be confirmed by a second so once you've found surface voltage you then check with a voltmeter if you're uncertain on the interpretation contact supervisors um, and it says a proximity voltage. So those glow sticks electricians use, they're no good. You need a surface one. Um, it then gives you actions. Do not continue to operate. Keep the area clear. So keep people safe. Ring them up. Report as a code A19. It's a great piece of information. However, C17. What's the difference? So the, the, the difference with C17 is the asset information, what the DNOs were looking for was information that would allow them to build remedial programs. So some of the codes that were in C17 were right. age stroke asset related uh, so that fundamentally, if we go for funding on our phenolic cutout replacement program specifically, then we've captured all this C17 information and we'd be able to build programs accordingly or mm. scale the size of the program based on what we'd found and how many were actually still out there. So, sense. so A19 is safety related as a reactive uh, action to the presence of a surface voltage on the plastic cutout. C17 is a active strategy to collect a asset log to identify where all the plastic cutouts are for management. Yes. Okay. And other items. I think there's a, Mm -hmm. for pyros and things like VIR cables and things like that as well. So, so things that we would want to... Uh, so a, a plastic cutout is C17, check the presence of voltage, it then becomes an A19. Well, here we you know, I've, I've learned something new, and you're absolutely right, actually. It, does, it doesn't state if... Uh, I think it says where no surface voltage is recorded. So naturally, it's, it's the equivalent of a C3, improvement recommended, put it on a log, do a rolling programme of replacements. It reduces the risk to the distribution business. It's, mm. it's common sense investment. And it's a good action. I mean, fundamentally, the meter operators are the, the real pivotal role of persons who are going into people's homes, although, as I say, not into mine because of the way my provider works. But if that's the action they need to collect a record of where these cutouts are, yep. then that's what they're doing. Um, so one of the things that it's worth noting on this, because obviously there's only so much research we have on this, is this is an interesting side. I think we've spoke about it before. Um, where an external, I don't know why the codes are on there, that's my, my error. Um, an external intake position in UK power networks um, is preferred for a certain reason. There was a Southampton coroner rule, 43, 
to minimize the use of internal metering equipment because of fires, failures, etc. So for any electricians or learners or wondering why the DNO cutouts are outside, it's it's mainly to protect the internal if there is a breakdown or a failure or a fire. And it's common sense. But interestingly, now, if you wanted one inside, you'd need to get written permission from the director of asset management if you wanted your DNO service head inside, uh, you know, like the letter from the Pope, basically. So it's it's worth noting. You can see kind of the background why they make these decisions. Mr. Skirm, next slide. Uh, I think we're just back to that wonderful video to kind of just summarize and finish it off. Um, I don't think there's much more, really. I think it's just more of a, uh, a, a kind of what do we do to uh, for electricians to keep safe oh. with it? I think it's as Dave has rightly pointed out there's some hidden tests here there's some there are I mean is there a way an electrician can um, I mean if electricians wanted to be proactive here and they identify plastic cutouts is there a way they can help uh, notify or, or, or update the information with the records of the network provider and the you know, the, the usual, uh, any signs of heat burning, bitumen leaking, that type mm. of thing, you would expect the guy to report that anyway. I think the, the recommendation for the meter operators is probably as good as you can get as, as far as allowing the guys to operate as, as safe as possible with the voltage indicator, you know, doing the, the test. I think you need to be, when you're training people on that, though, you don't want them to limit to, to one stab in the middle of the cutout and that's them done their job. You really want to explore the, the, the cutout in a wee bit uh, more care and where you place the voltage indicator to give you some sort of indication if there is a breakdown occurring. It's not always obvious that, you know, you can, some of the ones we recovered, you can see in that one, the shines away on mm. the, the, the area just next to where the tracking occurs. And sometimes that was fairly obvious, but in others it wasn't obvious at all. And I think the point that the British Rail one moved about it going through the material as much as on the surface, that we found that case as well. So it's no something that's always immediately obvious or can be seen even using the tester. So, so would the, if a Sparky found a, a plastic cutout and uh, with his voltage indicator all over it and got nothing and got his voltmeter out and connected it to, to Earth, because he's not likely to get access to the neutral terminal, really, is he? So, and then he, he wanders all over it with his probe, and he finds no elevated voltages. So he says, "Well, okay, that's that's that doesn't seem to have started to degrade." But uh, the Macopa guidance says that's a uh, was it C seventeen? Yeah, yeah. Um, is there any way of them? You know, can can they then pick the phone up and speak to the DNO and say, "Well." I've got a, a, a Macopa code C17 going on here. Would they take any notice of a spark, you think? I, I don't think they would. I think that's purely down to volumes uh, more than anything else. I think they even struggled with a, uh, the volumes for the smart meter rollout as well. Uh, but uh, again, the key thing was the cat is, you know, you want anybody and everybody to report a sign of burning. Uh, but, you know, just report an asset condition. Locally, it happens, uh, you know, probably had loads of, you know, information about VIRs and things that were really helpful to programs when we were doing modernization and stuff like that, staff were doing that. But genuinely, I think they would struggle with the volume if, if the guys were doing that. I think NAPIT did offer, and I think there were discussions with the e and at one point about using the CAT ABs and Cs and how that would be, uh, you know, fed, fed into the e and but it was never adopted. And I think it was just simply down to the volume of calls that they would have to take. 
I'm, I'm going to give a, a thought before I turn this over to final thoughts, because I'm mindful of time. Uh, and um, I genuinely believe if I was going out and finding a black phenolic cut on now and I was still doing the ICRs, I'd note it on my form. Um, and I would, you know, I'd note, I, I would go away and get the Mopcoa guidance and have it in my van and use it as a source of, of understanding and better able to report. I would still discharge my duty, even in writing. It says, look, you might want to do something about this in the future. I'm not saying you have to code it as C1, C2 or anything like that, but I would definitely, and, and Dave, you were saying about continuity tests, the earth are neutral. They're all hybrid PMEs now. So in theory, you should be able to go off the earth bar and just do some testing on the surface to see if you get something. So I don't see any reason why people can't do. And remember, if you get a volt stick and wave it around, it will glow. But you need you need the surface contact stick. So don't think your volt stick will protect you or your back of your hand. Um, actually get a surface contact indicator that the DNOs use, they're approved products. Um, and, or just get your voltmeter and use the earth as a reference and then go on the surface and see what you can find. Protect yourself is the main point of this. This is a legacy thing. There is still probably millions of these cutouts around the country, but as with anything that gets old, there are more and more instances. And this whole point of this podcast is to help you with the research that we have and the videos that we have and the images to identify it and better support your customers and keep yourself safe. Um, on that, I'm going to go to final thoughts and I want Mr. McKenzie to start this one. So, Gordon, what's your final thoughts, advice to electricians doing this? I think for me, Paul, and the opportunity to come here tonight as well was, you know, I, I always envisage my, myself working at a service position or working, you know, anywhere like that. And I want as much information and I want to be as well educated and as knowledgeable as I possibly can be. And that's, you know, specifically where incidents can occur, you know, and it's all about safety, it always was about safety. Uh, and it always should be about safety. And I think uh, getting the information out of guys, education, all a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. JW? Yeah, I think just to reiterate that what we're talking about here is that the fact that the plastic material itself is becoming conductive. So if you are going to test for that, don't use one of the volt sticks sort of things because obviously, of course, it's going to glow there because it's right next to the conductor. So it is some you need an actual metallic contact onto the plastic material itself to uh, determine that. Otherwise, if you just wave a volt stick around the cutout, well, what a surprise. Of course, it's going to light up because there's obviously the electricity in there. So that's uh, kind of the point that uh, needs to get across that. Very valid. Mr. Skirm, final thoughts or advice? Yeah, I mean, these things are getting long in the tooth now. Obviously, um, apart from the the electrical degradation, there's likely to be mechanical degradation, brittleness in brittlement and, and weakness in the plastics themselves. So it's not the sort of thing I think Sparks want to be thinking about pulling the fuses on, even if they do get um, no voltage readings on it, because the blinking thing could just fall apart in their hands. Think VIR cable. You know, this is the sort of the concept we're thinking about with these with this with this um, phenolic resin that's the, the age it is now, you know? Yeah, I think this is a bit of lost knowledge. But Dave, your final thought. Um, I like to role play things in my head. And I, I think about who is going to first discover these things. It's going to be the homeowner. It's going to be the consumer. Their lights are going to start to flicker. Their TV is going to go on and off. The first thing they're going to do is look over the fence. Ask Doris next door. Theirs is fine. So they're going to call the Sparky, probably. Not the supply authority. So the Sparky is going to be probably most often, in my mind, the first person to come and investigate this. And so this is why it's so important to understand 
the phenomena um, and what can happen here. And for Sparkies to equip themselves with the right voltage indicating strategy, gloves, uh, and to actually do the normal process with the board. But if the supply is bothering about, as we said, just check the voltage present on that and then escalate the action yeah. of escalation. But I think, you know, we need to make electricians aware of this because I have a feeling with, with, especially in domestics, they'll be the first persons who actually will see it. And they may, again, if we don't talk about it more, they may go loose connection, loose connection, because that is obviously in the bat, in, in, in the mind site, the, the, the only culprit with these devices. I think a lot of electricians aren't even aware of these components failing. So yeah. it's, you know, it, it's a loose connection or it's a supply issue. And if it is a loose connection, they may get hands-on checking. You know, you know, a lot of electricians, if they think it's a loose connection, they may see if it sparks a little bit yeah. by getting their hands on it, wheeling it about. And we don't want that. No. So we want them to check for the presence of a voltage before they do anything like that. So you know. my recommendations is to any electrician, if you're doing a lot of domestic or commercial industrial, have a set of insulated gloves, have an, a contact voltage detector, maybe use, I know QTEC and Mega have touch voltage stuff. If you've got an earth terminal nearby, maybe try and do some continuity IR testing. If you're not sure, if you're a, if you're in the domestic world and the customer says, "Oh, I got a tingle when I reached in to grab a bag for life," off of that black thing, you know, think think about what you're listening here. This is this is some of the symptoms towards a potentially bigger incident. So reflect back, consider your, consider dynamic risk assessment all the time, and if you're not sure, 105, uh, and make sure you protect yourself and others. And on that bombshell, Gordon. I would like to thank you very much for joining on this wonderful little old school journey on Phenolic. Um, and you. on behalf of all of my brothers and pals and Mr. McKenzie, um, thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. And until the next one, take care of yourself and each other. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 And cut. <laughs>